Well, again, good morning. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series entitled Standing on the Promises of God. This morning, we're going to be looking at the promise of God's amazing grace. Our study is found in Romans chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. We're going to look at Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8 together. And by way of review, last week we looked at the promise of courage. We looked at Joshua. We looked at the man that led the people of God into the land of promise. And as we looked at that, um, we came to the end of Joshua's life, didn't we? He's 110 years of age. He called all of the leaders together and he said to them, he said, follow after the gods of your parents follow or follow after the gods of the inhabitants of the land or you can do what my family and I are doing. We're going to follow after the one true God. You know what he said? He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I pray that you have made that declaration just as Joshua did. So again, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8 together. And this is what we read. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. You know, what we see in these verses is a picture of God's grace extended to people of faith. Our message point this morning is this. Faith is our response to God. Faith is how you and I respond to God's invitation in our life. Grace is God's response to us, where he provided for us a covering for our sin on Calvary's hill. How many of you remember the song, Grace That Is Greater Than All Our Sin? Y'all remember that, that hymn? The chorus of that goes, Grace, Grace, God's Grace, Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. God's grace isn't greater than most of our sin. Our 99.9999% of our sin. No, God's grace is greater than 100% of our sin and the sins of those outside of this place. Notice our first point this morning. It is Abraham's faith. We read again in verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? You know, it's important to understand that in first century Judaism, Abraham was placed on a pedestal above all other men. He was a model of faith. They truly believed that he had been saved by his good works. They believed that God accepted Abraham because he earned God's favor based upon how he lived his life. You know, God certainly blessed Abraham and birthed from him a people group called the Jews. Abraham was indeed big stuff. I mean, think about Abraham. Um, it could be said of him that he is one of the most significant people to ever walk the face of this earth with the exception of Jesus Christ. Out of 
of Abraham comes three of the world's major religions. There is Judaism through Isaac, there is Islam through Ishmael, and there is Christianity. We, 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 we go trace our lineage all the way back to Abraham who also, who is the father of the Jews. Arguably, Abraham is one of the most significant men to ever be born. Now, Paul, who is the writer of Romans, um, because we're kind of jumping into Romans and kind of doing a standalone sermon this morning, we're kind of missing some of the context of what um, um, Paul is saying here. Let me just kind of give you just a, a, a brief understanding of where we're at in Romans now. Within the pages of the first three chapters of Romans, Paul set out to prove that the whole world stood guilty before our holy God because of their sins. That included Abraham and every other Old Testament man and woman of the faith. Paul made it clear that salvation comes only through faith and not by works. And to prove his point, he illustrates this by, by speaking of Abraham, and then later he is going to speak about David as well. So the people believed that Abraham was so godly that he adhered to the law before the law was ever given, and because of this, he earned his way into heaven. That people held him up on a pedestal. Has there ever been someone in your life that you have held up on that kind of a pedestal? That you have looked at them and you thought, man, that they are, they are just all that and then a little bit more. You know, when we think about people of the faith, that, that we think about people that, that um, demonstrates integrity. You know, one of the people I think about is Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham is truly one of those men that lived his life well. He walked with God. He talked with God. He lived his life with integrity. If you were to go back and look at Billy Graham's life, you're probably not going to find too many things that, that, that he did um, that would disqualify him from, from still being that man that we place on that pedestal, right? Jews learned much from the life of Abraham. They wanted to be like Abraham. Has there ever been, again, someone in your life that you've looked up like that? Maybe it was a professional athlete. Maybe it was an actor or an actress or a professor or a parent, a business professional, a healthcare worker, or a first responder, a preacher, a missionary, a teacher. All of us, hopefully, have had role models in our lives. And hopefully those role models of ours haven't let us down, but most likely they probably have at some point or another. You know, how many of you um, remember the 90s very well? Okay, a few of us in here remember the 90s. Um, in the 90s, there was a commercial um, that Gatorade put out called, um, and, and the tagline was, Be Like Mike. Do y'all remember that commercial? Um, the commercial, um, it, was, it was about a minute long, and there was a song that went to the commercial. And, and the lyrics, the first part of it go, Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream, I move, I dream, I groove like Mike. If I could be like Mike, like Mike. Oh, if I could be like Mike, be like Mike, be like Mike. And during this commercial, you see Michael Jordan, who played for the Chicago Bulls. And man, he's making some spectacular shots during this commercial. And then they would cut away and they would show little kids and students and adults out playing pickup games, and they too are making, making shots. And it's just, it was a kind of a, an inspirational um, um, commercial. 
I can't stand basketball. But when that commercial was over, I wanted to be like Mike. Now, I wanted to go out like my friend up there in the, the booth, Mark Love, and buy me some Air Jordans because that's the kind of commercial this was. Man, everybody wanted to be like Mike. Nothing wrong with a role model as long as that role model does not become the basis of our worship. Abraham had clearly become that kind of person to the Jews. Paul writes, for if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. Basically, if, if, if Abraham um, stood before the people of God and truly could stand before them based upon his works and his good deeds, he could hold his chest out and he could walk around like he was somebody. Because Paul's saying if he, if he, if he did indeed, if he was justified indeed by his works, he could do that. He could boast before anyone and everyone. But Paul goes on to say, but he cannot boast before God. Why could Abraham not boast before, before God based upon his works? Because Abraham, like everyone else, fell short of God's glory, right? Romans 3.23 says what? For all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul is saying, hey, even your hero, Abraham, even your hero, David, has fallen short of God's glory. Every single one of the heroes that we have also have fallen short, right, of God's glory. You know, how many times has your hero let you down? How many times have you read about a prominent pastor or musician fall from grace because of their sinfulness or financial mismanagement? I think all of us have been there. All of us have done that. And unfortunately, it seems like more and more when we turn the television on or we go to a website, we see about another person of faith falls short of God's glory and sin um, terribly. One, one, one author says that the Apostle Paul does not say that Abraham was made righteous in all his doing, but God accounted Abraham as righteous. In verse 3 again we read, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Our justification is not God making us perfectly righteous, but counting us as perfectly righteous. After we are counted righteous, then God begins making us truly righteous, culminating at the point of our resurrection. Folks, God is not impressed by our works. God is impressed by our faith. Our faith is the only thing that will save us, not our achievement. Some of you in this room may have lived all of your life and ran this race called life, earning, thinking that you're earning your way into heaven based upon your works. Your works are not going to get you into heaven. Your faith in Jesus will get you into heaven. The covering of Jesus' blood upon your life that is what will get us into heaven. Notice next we see Paul's explanation. Paul goes on here in verse 4 and says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Paul is pointing out in verse 4 that when we have a job, we get paid for the job that we do, don't we? The pay, that paycheck is not a gift it is what our employer owes us in exchange for our work. I think we've all had that, that, that employer in our life that kind of came around and gave us that paycheck thinking that, hey, 
this paycheck is your gift. No, it's not my gift. It's what you owe me because of the work that I do. You know, um, we are not saved by our works. Paul is making that abundantly clear right here. How many of you love your job so much that you would be willing to do it for free? Anybody in here love your job that much? Debbie back there. Glenn, where you at, Glenn? You may be over in the, the sound room. Debbie said that she would work for free. We'll start that tomorrow. Um, but I love my job. I love what I do. If I could do this for free, I would do it in a heartbeat. But I have a family, and, and that family counts on me bringing home a paycheck in order to provide a roof over our head and food on our table. Once again, if I could do this for free, I would, but I can't. So around the 15th of the month and around the last day of the month, I get a paycheck for, for what I do here. Now, that's going to surprise some of you. You probably thought that your pastor um, worked for free, but, but I don't. I can't. If I could, I would. I, I, I wish I could say that I, that I earn my paycheck, um, but I do but I don't do what I do for that paycheck. That, that to me, is, is the reward of what I do. You know, salvation is the reward of what we do as a result of what God did for us on the cross. When we respond to Christ in faith, we are saved, is what Scripture says. We are saved by faith. In verse 5 we read, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul goes on to speak about the ungodly person who believes in God by faith. By doing this, they are saved. You know, salvation never has been nor will it ever be based upon human achievement. It is always based on our faith and belief in God. Here's what I love about this passage of Scripture. This Scripture makes it very clear that you and I do not have to get good before we get God. God is not in heaven looking down upon his creation and saying, hey, that person better get their act together before I will um, cover them with my blood. That person over there, man, better, better straighten up or they're not going to be rewarded with eternal life. God doesn't say they better stop their cursing and their smoking and their drinking and their stealing and their cheating. No, that is not how salvation happens. Paul says that God justifies the ungodly. All of us in this room at one time in our life were ungodly, weren't we? All of us that are believers in this room came to a point where we believed in God and he forgave us of our sins. He counted our faith as righteousness. Because of this, we were found to be in right standing with God. And that is good news this morning. All of us at one time were wretched sinners, weren't we? All of us were on a collision course with hell at one time. We read in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Salvation is a gift from God. It is only made possible by God's glorious grace. It has nothing to do with our performance. It has nothing to do with 
how we have lived our life in the past. It has everything to do with God. Notice next, after focusing in on Abraham and establishing this point that works does not save a person, Paul reaches back into history's past and he quotes from from Israel's greatest king. Notice David's declaration in verses 6 through 8. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Paul is quoting from King David's psalm here. David was without a doubt Israel's greatest king. God declared David to be a man after his own heart. He was a giant slayer. He was a national war hero. He again was Israel's greatest king. David was also a sinner who fell terribly short morally. He was not always a person um, or a poster boy of righteousness, was he? He had an anger problem. David was a doubter. He, He was a scaredy cat. He was a runner. He was a powder. He was a sinner. David, when he should have been at war, leading his soldiers into battle, is found one day outside on the roof of his house. And we know this story. But, but one day he's out looking out over his rooftop. And he looks down and he sees this beautiful woman taking a bath. What does David do in that moment? Does he turn and run and flee? No. David calls for that woman. He calls that woman into his house and he sleeps with her. What David, this man after God's own heart, who knew the law, who came after the law, who was very familiar with God's commandment, what he did is he broke it, didn't he? David would break at least four of God's laws with Bathsheba. He would commit adultery. He would lie and try to cover up the sin. He would have Uriah, her husband, murdered. He would covet what his neighbor had. Here this giant slayer, this great king, this man after God's own heart, has broken four of God's laws. This man after God's own heart would break the law of God. He would sin, he fell, and failed miserably before our holy God. Question is, did that, did, did, did that sin disqualify him from heaven? No, it didn't, did it? Folks, God forgives the sins of those who call out to him for forgiveness. He forgives the sins of the ungodly who call out to, to Christ. He forgives the sin of the righteous in this room when we fall short as well. David would write Psalm 32 in response to his sin with Bathsheba. And again, we read these words as quoted by Paul. First of all, we see a progression here. First of all, our sins are forgiven. In verse 7, we read, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Again, David broke at least four of God's laws, four of the commandments. Now he is writing about his experience, and he expresses his gratitude that God forgave him for his sins. How is our sins forgiven? It is able to be forgiven because of the work of Christ on the cross, right? 
He died a sinner's death, and he shed his blood so that all of us in this room could enter into an eternal relationship with him. He died on the cross in our place. Our sins are forgiven because of the work of Christ. He also, Paul, or David said, that our sins are covered. We read in 4.7b, and whose sins are covered. Our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. Just imagine that this bowl represents yours and my sinfulness. It represents every wretched thing that you and I have ever done. Every sin that we have committed, those big, hairy sins and those little, tiny sins. What Jesus did is he took our sins and he literally covered those sins. And by covering our sins, what that means is this. In the, latter, the next subpoint is our sins are not counted against us. Our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. In verse 8, we read, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That is huge. You know, many of us have lived with the guilt of our sin and maybe even experienced the lasting consequences of our sin. But God reminds us that he has forgiven our sins, that he has covered our sin, and that he will not count our sin against us. In fact, it says in Psalm 103 that the Lord will remove our sin as far as the east is from the west and remember them no more. The Lord has covered your sins, my friends. Don't continue to allow your sins to hold you captive because if Jesus has forgotten them, you too can forget them. In Romans 6.23, we read, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation does not come based upon anything that you and I do. There are some religions in this world that teach that you have to do X, Y, and Z, and maybe then you will gain access into the afterlife. No guarantee. But with you and I, what are we promised? That we don't have to do anything because God has already done it all. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and provided a free gift for us that if we would repent of our sins and turn to Jesus, he will forgive our sins and remove them as far as the east is from the west. And you and I, in faith, we step out and we step toward God. And when we do that, the scripture is clear, we shall be forgiven. I want to close this morning by just sharing the lyrics of probably one of our, all of our favorite hymns, or at least one of them, Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. The Lord hath promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first believed or first begun. God's grace is amazing. And God's grace has provided a covering for all of us in this room. And all of us in this room are believers. I have no doubt about that. If you this morning, though... um, 
are, are like, and you know, I have gone throughout my life trying to earn my way into heaven. I've taught Sunday school. I've been a part of mission trips. I've been a part of Bible studies. I've, I've done this, this, and this, but what I haven't done is I haven't ever come to Jesus in faith and asked him to forgive me of my sins. If that's you this morning, we're going to have a time of invitation, and I would welcome you to respond this morning. I'd love to share with you more about how you can earn, enter into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. I think all of us in this room know people outside the doors of this church that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what has God commanded us to do to go to them and share with them the good news of salvation? You and I are not saved by works, but what does Scripture say? We are saved unto good works. Because we have been saved, there is a, an impulse that has been given us that drives us outside the doors of this church to share with other people about how they too can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ by responding in faith and being covered with Jesus' blood. Who do you know this morning that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ that you and I both need to go to to share with? Let's stand together. If there's a decision you didn't make, you come. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. Father, just thanking you again for our time of worship, thanking you again for your word, thanking you for the promise of your word. And Lord, I pray this morning that, that if there's someone in this room that does not have a relationship with you or someone that will be joining us in the next hour that does not have a relationship with you or someone that will be joining us in growth groups this morning that does not have a relationship with you, that today will be the day of their salvation. Today will be the day that they respond to you in faith and they experience your, God, your, your amazing grace. Lord, just move now during this time of invitation. First, in Jesus' name we pray.